Good morning, Riv. Let's see everybody today. Now, I don't know if you noticed or not. I got a couple gray hairs coming in. Uh, I'm getting a little older, turning the big 3-0 this year. <sighs> getting up there, man. Getting up there. But, but what I found is that the older I get, uh, the more that I'm starting to notice uh, that when this like human roller coaster of emotions and reactions whenever something new uh, pops up in our world. Uh, like usually there's new things that, that pop up in each generation uh, that the previous generation has a lot of doubts and reservations about. So uh, like has anyone ever experienced uh, something that was a norm in their lifetime, and it got changed or updated in some way, and see so many negative or weird reactions to it. Everybody, yeah. So, for example, uh, smartphones, right? Like, if you were around before smartphones were a thing, there was there was a time where smartphones weren't a thing. Um, <laughs> You probably heard uh, complaints of how damaging it would be, right, or how it would be the end of the world. Uh, and although, you know, we found that there is some negatives to having a, a smartphone, overall today just about everybody has a smartphone now, right? Uh, and now a more modern example is the talks around electric cars, right? Like there's a handful of people, I don't know if you noticed, uh, who think electric cars are going to cause the end of the world, um, and they, they, they come up with all kinds of conspiracy theories, and like the government wants you to have electric cars to control you, and it's like smartphones. Uh, and yet, almost all man, uh, major manufacturers now are producing electric cars, and I think within the next 10 years or so, most Americans will have electric cars. You just learn to live with it. Um, and if you don't think those examples apply to you, if you've never seen that before, uh, do I have any NBA basketball fans in here? Anybody that watched the NBA? Yeah, yeah. Now, hands up if you're on Team MJ. Team MJ? Michael Jordan? You think Michael Jordan's the greatest of all time? Anybody? All right. <laughs> now, I'm going to cause some trouble today. Uh, anybody? Team LeBron? Team LeBron, yeah. yeah. You think LeBron James is the greatest basketball player? Ever. Uh, now, what I notice is that when I usually ask this question, uh, it, it's, it's typically people, uh, people who are on Team MJ are typically the ones that watched MJ growing up, right? Like they watched him on TV, they witnessed his two three-peats, his six championships, all his MVPs. You know, these fans didn't just watch highlight reels. They typically, they're the ones that... Uh, got to experience watching MJ's legendary career just unfold before their eyes. But on the flip side, if, if you were born in the late 90s or, or, you know, or, or later, chances are you're, you're more leaning towards Team LeBron, right? Like me. Uh, <laughs> because you got to witness LeBron play in what I would say is the most dominant era of NBA basketball of all time, amen? Uh, and, you actually, and you actually use stats to back up your, your point, uh, such as him being the all-time points leader, playing in 20 all-star games, averaging the same amount of points and stats per game, even though he's in his 21st season. Greatness, yeah? Uh, 
Now, before I get attacked, because I already know some people are going to attack me after this, I want to point out that if you're on the Michael Jordan side of this argument, uh, I get it, right? Like, like, you're probably creating a solid argument in your mind right now, and probably even a little bit defensive. Um, and although you're wrong, uh, you, you probably have a solid argument, <laughs> right? Like, no, but, but for real, I doubt anybody will ever convince a diehard Michael Jordan fan that LeBron is the greatest. <laughs> See, no way. <laughs> Why? Because change is new and change is uncomfortable. And we, we want, see, see, we want to hold on to the memories and feelings of the old because this is, and that's a different generation. It's not even conversation no more. But we, because change is hard. Accepting change is hard. So we just stick to, you know, Michael Jordan's the best of his era and LeBron's the best of his era. All right, all right. <laughs> see, how, see, see how defensive people get? Gee. Now, now it, although it's funny, uh, uh, I do want to have you guys think of this, uh, this argument, uh, because Paul, in, in this next section of 2 Corinthians, makes a similar argument. Of course, it's, it's about something more, you know, that's not meaningless or opinionated. Uh, it's actually something that's really important. But Paul here is comparing the old covenant ministry given to Moses, right? He's there, he's there, Michael Jordan, and this new covenant ministry uh, that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. It, it, it is a shift from the familiar, from the comfortable to the unknown and the misunderstood. And Paul is about to unpack this um, for this church in Corinth. So, so let's dive in. Paul starts off by saying this. Now, if the ministry that brought death chiseled in letters on stones came with glory so that the Israelites were not able to gaze steadily at Moses' face because of its glory, which was set aside, how will the ministry of the spirit not be more glorious? Now, to give some context, uh, uh, last week we see at the beginning of chapter 3, right now we're in the second half, but last week we've seen that Paul compares the old covenant, the, the law of Moses, which he states was written with ink, written on tablets of stone, representing its, its temporary nature, and he ended, up, he ended by explaining that the old covenant kills and it brings death. And he contrasted with this new covenant which he says is written on the hearts of all those who believe by the spirit, something permanent. And he explains how it brings life. So here at the beginning of verse seven, Paul dives even further into this comparison, uh, uh, contrasting these two covenants. Now, it's important to understand, again, the context of this passage, knowing who's Paul's, who Paul's audience is here. Uh, it's important to understand that Paul Paul's audience here are living in the first century when the gospel is just starting to get spread around the world. So here in Corinth, this major city, this port city, uh, as well in, in, in a few other places, Paul is, is starting to come in contact with combating some false theologies that have been brought to this church in Corinth by some false teachers. And because there were a lot of Jewish converts 
uh, meaning that these, these people that were normally or who are originally Jewish in faith, who have converted over to the Christian faith, there were some of these false teachers coming and knowing this and, and teaching that the Mosaic law, this law that was given to Moses by God to the Israelites in the Old Testament, that that was still the way of salvation, that that was still uh, the way of earning the approval and favor of God, which these Jewish people would have understood really well. So Paul was totally against this teaching, which is, you know, hence why the comparison over these next couple of verses and but but honestly, to be fair, I think there's something to be said about the purpose of the Mosaic law and, and where it fits into the gospel story. Uh, if Jesus said, I had come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, it, it makes sense why a lot of people were trying to figure out where exactly the law fits into everything. And to be honest, I think this is still even a struggle uh, that goes on today, uh, the struggle of knowing where the law starts and ends in our walk with Jesus. Some people, some churches even today can be very legalistic, um, where, it's, where it's about following rules more than it's about being submissive to Jesus, more about external behaviors than internal transformation. And that could cause a lot of issues and confusion. So it's important to understand the roles of both the, the law and the spirit and how they work together. And Paul knew this. And I want to be clear. I don't think that Paul was against the law. But what he was against, however, was the idea of placing the law over the work of Jesus in the empowering of the Holy Spirit. He says the law brings death. Like, like why, does it, why does the law bring death? Right? If, if God gave this thing, why, why would he say it brings death? How does it bring death? Well, let's jump real quick because um, I think he gives a good uh, answer to this in, in Romans chapter 7, verses 5 through 13. He says this. He says, for when we were in the flesh... The sinful passions aroused through the law were working in us to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law since we have died to what held us so that we may serve in the newness of the spirit in the old letter of the law. Sound familiar, right? Newness of the spirit, old letter of the law. Paul uses some of the same language in 2 Corinthians. What should we say then? Is the law sin? He's saying, is the law sinful? Absolutely not. But I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. And sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life again and I died. The commandment that was meant for life resulted in death for me. For sin seizing an opportunity, again, through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. Therefore, did what is, what is good become death to me? 
Absolutely not. But sin in order to be recognized as sin was producing death in me through what is good. So that through the commandment, sin might become sinful beyond measure. So in case you weren't following along, there's a lot in there. Uh, To summarize what Paul is saying here, he's saying that the law made us realize what sin is. He says, I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. The law in and of itself is holy and just and good because it was given by God. But sin uses God's good law to point out our guilt and separation from God. And separation from God is death. So the law brings death. Why? Because it points out our sin and our separation from God. That makes sense? So he goes on comparing these two covenants, uh, again, which he calls ministries here. He says in the next verse, for if the ministry that brought condemnation had glory, the the ministry that brings righteousness overflows with even more glory. Again, Paul is not saying that the law is bad because he even here, he says it had glory. It's just that this new ministry, this new covenant driven by the work of Christ brings righteousness and therefore has even more glory. It brings righteousness because Jesus covers our sins. The law points it out, but Jesus covers it. So that is why this new covenant overflows with even more glory, as he says. And it doesn't just have more glory, but it's not even comparable. This new covenant, new covenant surpasses it. It's almost as if it didn't even exist in comparison. And he explains why in this next verse, he says, for if what was set aside was glorious, what endures will be even more glorious. What endures will be even more glorious. What the spirit writes on the hearts of believers is permanent. The law, it was was just this transitory thing. It was temporary, but the work of Jesus is permanent. I love this. It says it it endures. Right now, I grew up in a really strict church, like super strict, like legalism was the norm. And uh, I, I mean, I couldn't do a lot of things like normal people things, right? Like going to the movies was sinful. Wearing jewelry was sinful. Getting tattoos was sinful. I mean, it was a lot. It was a lot of stuff I was saying. I was like, dang, I can't do nothing. (laughs) But what I found with legalism is that it never endured. Those who push so hard on on others saying do this or follow that, condemning those who, who, who would dare not follow their strict guidelines and rules, what I found is that the majority of those who had that mindset, number one, were very bitter people. And number two, looking back on it now, most of those people who pushed others so hard on that, a lot of them aren't even in church anymore. <laughs> they're, 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 they're not even believers anymore. Why? Because legalism following the law does not endure. It's temporary (laughs) because nobody can do it. It's impossible to live a sinless life. It's why Paul in Romans says, for all have sinned and fallen short 
of the glory of God. All have sinned. But one of the things that I have witnessed in my life, what I've seen that does endure is the spirit working in those who believe. It's life transforming. It doesn't just appear good, but it is good and it stands the, the test of time and it stands the test of struggles and, and, and you know you ever seen somebody that has the spirit in them and you're like man I don't know how you're getting through that <laughs> I don't know how you still have a faith because it endures and the spirit is why is also why Paul can be bold right like it, it's why he what he says in this next section he says since then we have such a hope we act with great boldness now, it's easy to look at this word hope in our modern context uh, and mar- modern sense of the word, thinking that it's more like a wish, like I hope for something. But this word hope here is, is, connect- is not connected to uncertainty in, in any way, but it's something that's firm. Of course, there's a sense of faith that, that is involved, but it is firm enough that it allows those to act with great Boldness, mainly because it's not built in self-striving or doing. It's not predicated on our own works. Instead, it is the Holy Spirit working through us. You see, the main difference between the old and new uh, covenant ministries Paul's talking about here is, is the activity or the lack of activity of the Holy Spirit. Now, in this next section, uh, uh, Paul dives deeper into this comparison again, uh, but this time he, he mentions more about Moses uh, that he mentioned in, the, in, the, in verse 7. He explains more in depth why this new covenant is far more superior than this old covenant. So he says in verse 13, we are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from gazing steadily until the end of the glory of what was being set aside. Now, what is Paul talking about here? Well, he mentions this story in the Old Covenant in the book of Exodus, or in the Old Testament, uh, in the book of Exodus about this guy named Moses, and he uses it to make his point here. So for us to get this full understanding of what he's actually talking about here, if you've never read this story, let's jump to it. It's in Exodus Chapter 34, um, it is verses 29 through 35. Now, I'll give some little bit brief uh, context here of what, where we're at in this story right now in Exodus. Um, just know where we're at. Moses, guy Moses, had went up to the mountain, uh, it's Mount Sinai, because he was the spokesperson for the Israelites for, uh, uh, to God. So God gives him these Ten Commandments, right? The famous story, Ten Commandments, uh, written on two tablets and some other laws uh, that Israelite, the Israelites were to follow. But when Moses comes down from the mountain to give them these commandments from God, what he finds is that the Israelites were worshiping this golden calf idol that they had created. So when Moses sees this, he throws the tablets down. He, he breaks them. He's upset. God is also upset. Telling Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. And then God sends a plague among them as a punishment for their worshiping of this calf, this golden calf. 
Fast forward a little bit, uh, some stuff happens. Moses goes up to the Mount Sinai one more time uh, on behalf of the Israelites in their sin. And God gives Moses two more tablets. And that's where we are at in this story up until this point. So let's read it now. Exodus 34, 29. It says, as Moses descended from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, and he descended the mountain, he did not realize that the skin of his face shone as a result of his speaking with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face shone. They were afraid to come near him, but Moses called out to them. So Aaron and all the uh, leaders of the community returned to him and Moses spoke to them. Afterwards, all the Israelites came near and he commanded them uh, to do everything the Lord had told him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses was finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. After he came out, he would tell the Israelites what he had been, uh, what he had been commanded. And the Israelites would see that Moses' face was radiant. Then Moses would put a veil over his face again until he went to speak with the Lord. So we have Moses coming down from the mountain after being the presence of the Lord, not realizing that his face was shiny, that there's this brightness, this radiating, uh, this radiation, uh, bright uh, off, off of his skin that makes Aaron and the rest of the Israelites Afraid of him, so afraid that they wouldn't even come near him. I mean, that's kind of freaky, right? Like some guy's face is just glowing. You can't even look at him. But we see that what Moses does is he puts a veil over his face whenever he encounters and speaks to the Israelites because they, they couldn't stare at him, at this, this glory reflected off of him. And he would remove that very same veil every time he would go back to speak with the Lord. Now there's some debate here in verse 13 about what Paul is getting at. Uh, something that he's claiming that Moses was hiding something, uh, this glory from the Israelites for some reason. That's why he covered his face. Something he was, he was only hiding this glory from them to protect them. But either way, What's important in this is understanding that Moses was the spokesperson for them. He was the one that was in direct contact with God. And either way, the Israelites would have never even been able to enter or be in proximity of God because of their sin. I mean, they had just worshiped this golden calf at the bottom of the mountain. So it wasn't just Moses' fault that he, coveted, that he covered this glory of God from them. It was their fault, too, because, they, because of their sin. I mean, they, they couldn't even view a temporary reflection of God's glory radiating off of Moses' skin because of their own sin. And we, and we find out that they... It wasn't just Moses because Paul says next, he says, but their minds were hardened for to this day at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains. It is not lifted because it is set aside only in Christ. Their minds were hardened. This word hardened could also mean like calloused. It's like a medical term. They, they weren't just ignorant of God's ways and commands. They were calloused to it. 
They chose to ignore it. And that's Paul's point here. He relates it back to the people in the city in Corinth. He says, for to this day at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains. It is not lifted. He's saying, look, you guys, that, that, that same hardened mind, that same calloused mind, that same veil that was present among the Israelites, it remains among you still. And it is only lifted. It is only set aside in Christ. Then he repeats it a different way, saying, yeah, still today, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So Paul tells them that, that there is a veil over your minds and over your hearts whenever this story is read among you. Why? Because you are still stuck on this old thing, this old covenant. You put too much emphasis on the law and these old things when your focus should be on this new thing, this new covenant. That's why the, the veil is only removed. How? In Christ. When you're in Christ, you can see clearly. And that is why, that's, that's why Paul says this next. He says, now the spirit of uh, the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. Very popular verse. Such powerful words. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I don't know if you guys understand how powerful that is. Just think about it. Where the spirit of the Lord is. Do you know where the spirit is? Do you know where the spirit lives, where it dwells? When you put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, don't you know that your body is what the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? You are free because the spirit of the Lord lives inside of you. It is not, it, it is working for you and in, 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 it's working for you and in you. When you believe. Now, some may ask, like, what exactly are you free from? Like, what, what's, what is, what am I free from? What is this freedom? Well, I love how Paul frames it in Romans 8. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free. It set you free from what? From the law of sin and death. So we're free from condemnation. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I mean, there's no guilt and punishment when we are in Christ Jesus, because in him, along with the power of the Holy Spirit, we are free from the law of sin and death. What does that mean? It means we are free from being separated from God. Sin separates us from God and separation from God is death. That's why Paul says the wages of sin is death. But in Christ, we are free from the law of sin and death. And then he says, for what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh. God did 
He condemns sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. So instead of sin condemning us, God condemns sin with the life of Jesus in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You see, Christ fulfills the law's requirements when we are in Christ and only when we are in Christ. And because of this, we have access to God because, because of Christ, we have access to God. That's Paul's point here that, that in Christ, the veil is lifted. We don't have to hide from the glory of God or, or, or have to have a spokesperson, per, spokesperson uh, intercede to God for us. Like Moses did for the Israelites. No, the veil is lifted. We have access because we have Jesus. And I love how Paul ends this section. It's my favorite part. He says this. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror uh, at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And this is from the Lord who is the spirit. I love that it says we all. <laughs> All of us with unveiled faces, all of us who put our faith in Jesus are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord. It says as in a, in a mirror, because it is only through Christ we, we even have this access to God. Only through Christ do we have access to God. Only through Christ are we gathered or grafted into his family when we believe we are no longer outsiders, we're no longer strangers, but we're heirs. We're because of the work of Jesus. And guess what? With, with that, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. It's, this is my favorite part. Because notice it says we're being transformed. It doesn't say we've been transformed. This points out that it's active. It's, it's a process. So don't let the enemy lie to you and deceive you into thinking that, that when you mess up, God just writes you off. That when you fall short or do something wrong, that you just get further and further away from him. No, that's a lie because when you are in Christ, he covers all of those sins. Yes, you should be, have a repentant heart. Yes, you should come back to God with those things. But when you are in Christ, when the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, you are free from condemnation. You are being transformed more and more and more into the image of Christ. Now, this doesn't mean that we're becoming like God, right? Like, no, but we're becoming a reflection of Christ more and more every day. And, and this is the best part. The best part is that it isn't because of anything we could do ourselves. We don't become more like Jesus because of our own works. It's not based on how much time we spend reading the Bible, how often we go to church. No, it, we, we didn't earn it. We can't earn it. Because if the law was adequate in itself, 
If our own striving and our, and our own works could earn us anything at all, then Christ's sacrifice was for nothing. There'd be no point in me even being up here. But it's not us. It's not anything we could earn or do ourselves. No, because this is, as Paul says, from the Lord, who is the spirit. It's the spirit of God that equips us. It's the spirit of God that works in us. The spirit of God helps us to become more and more and more a reflection of Christ to the world. And it's freeing. (laughs) Isn't it just freeing knowing that? Let's pray. God, I thank you just for your word. Um, Yeah, I just thank you for just the life of Jesus. I I, I just thank you for the work on the cross, for, for the death, the burial, the resurrection. I just thank you that we're able to be in proximity to you, that we're able to be a reflection of Jesus to the world because of the Holy Spirit. God, I just ask that as we go out throughout the weeks and, and days and months, God, that, that, that you, you remind us, you continue to remind us that we are just vessels for you, <laughs> that it's not us. There's nothing we could do to earn your uh, grace, your mercy. It's just freely given every day. God, I just thank you again just for for all you, for being with us, for, for reminding us that you love us and you care about us and that you're there for us. And I just rebuke any thoughts from the enemy that tries to come in to make us feel like we are far away from you. Just remind us that you're right there with us. That's all this. In the name of your son. Amen. <laughs>